good morning. How's everybody doing? Come on now, blessed and highly favored. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I was talking last night. I was at my uh, aunt and uncle's house last night, and you know, it's so easy in the craziness of the world that we're living in. It's so easy to find yourself, I hate to say this, complaining, you know, about all the craziness that's happening in the world. And we kind of took like a moment pause and, you know, we just started talking about how things, I mean, things are going to turn around. Things are going to get better. And, and I think sometimes it's a matter, you know, we talked about last week, we talked about the power of our words. And choosing to use our words to be encouraging and life-giving and speaking out the future that we want, right? Because isn't that our position as believers? Rather than to get caught up in the fray of everyday life and talking like the news and talking like the naysayers and the doubters. No, I mean, the scripture is very, very clear to us. Our position is as kings, as people who are to take dominion and rulership. And, and we just did that for like literally two minutes last night. And it felt as if all the, you know, the doom and gloom about the future just immediately changed. And everybody was all of a sudden excited about what God surely was going to do. Because let me tell you something. This is what we said last night. I'm going to tell you, mister, because you're excited. The world has been so much worse than it is now. Like, we were talking yesterday, and it's bad now, and the news is bad, and the stuff is bad, but, like, the world has gone through world wars, right? And, and sometimes it's easy to forget that we've been here before, and God had his way before, and turned beauty out of the ashes. And he will. That's right. I'm fired up because I'm, I'm with Mr. We live in the same camp together because, listen, I'm under the persuasion that when it gets bad is when the glory of God shines the brightest. And so I want to spend a little bit of time this morning talking to some people who know that you've been created to do something significant, that... You know that you've been put here not to just suck oxygen, but you're, you're here to make a difference. That you're called to do something important. You're called to do something big. You're called to do something unique. You're, you're not called to just like be here and live a mundane everyday life, but you're called to do something that's special, that, that matters. But here's the thing, where so many of us can be, we don't really know what that is yet. Like, I know I'm called to do something big. I, I believe that God has called me to do something. But with that reality, so many questions are raised. For example, what do you believe God has called you to do? Right? Like, how do you know that God has actually called you to do the thing you feel that he's called you to do. Or questions like, where do you start? And I want to spend a little bit of time this morning in, in the book of Ephesians for just a moment. And while this scripture that I'm going to start with today may seem discouraging because we're going to read a passage of scripture when the apostle Paul is in Rome and we've talked about this before. He doesn't come to preach. He comes as a prisoner. And we find him in prison. And this is about 60 years after Jesus lived and had his ministry. And, and this is what the Apostle Paul says. He's using his situation, his, as, as people would look onto his life and would, as we often do, assign value, assign significance, Paul is talking to us in this moment from prison, and though it seems bad for him, and though if you read through historical accounts of what he would have experienced in prison, we would have said, this is a fairly discouraging season, Paul is using this opportunity to encourage us. 
He's using this moment of his own personal challenge to inspire faith in us that no matter how things seem on the outside, God is going to continue to have his way. He says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says this, Therefore I, this is Paul speaking, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, now think about this moment he's having. He's not, he's not saying, you know, he's encouraging you. He's not saying, you know, like, I, I think that you should give this a try. He says this, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you. Other translations will use the words like, he's pleading with us. And from this, we understand that what he's about to say to us is so immensely significant. He says this, lead a life worthy of your calling. Now, what's Paul doing? Paul is letting us know that no matter how it looks, because he's in jail. And in a Roman prison, it's a very bad situation. And he's encouraging us to let us know that, listen, regardless of how things seem in your life, God has called you to do something significant. He ends this passage, with this, this portion of scripture with this. He says, for you have been called by God. Nobody would look at Paul in that moment and think that Paul has been called by God. He's in prison. He's essentially rotting in jail. And he says this, I beg you, live a life worthy of your calling because you have been called by God. I'm here to talk to some people this morning who feel that they've been called by God to do something that's big. In fact, elbow, you know, elbow bump, maybe give you a little shoulder bump, air high five your neighbor and let them know that I've got a big calling. Amen. I've got a big calling. And, and here's the truth is, is that when we hear this, it resonates with us, doesn't it? There's something in us that when we talk about a big calling, when we talk about being created to do something significant, there's this unspoken, innate part of it that knows that we've been created for a reason. That I wasn't an accident, I wasn't some cosmic mistake, I, I wasn't just the random intersection of my parents, and so now therefore I've been created. No, there's, a, there's something in us that knows that I've been created for an eternal purpose. That there's a divine destiny that, that from the very beginning of time, God has created and laid out this perfect destiny for me to be able to live. That no matter how much I earn, no matter how much stuff I can buy, no matter how good of food I can eat, no, no matter the, the brand of purse that I carry, no matter how big my house is or how many bathrooms I have, no matter how many vacations I can take this year, how many followers you have on social media, that you hunger for something that's more than success, that you long to connect with the spiritual significance that you knew you were created to walk out. The title of my message this morning is A Bigger Calling. A Bigger Calling. Called to do something bigger. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for what you are stirring and awakening us to in this time. That though the world would try to make us feel all the things the world tries to make us feel. You've set us on a course to inspire us this morning to remember what you have spoken to us. That the world is not more powerful than we are. What the news says is not more powerful than we are. How bad things seem. No, you've called us to something bigger. You've placed us on the earth for this moment. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Now, here's the thing as I talk about this. You know, I'd like to say that right now we live in a culture of insta-fluence, right? 
that if I say that someone is TikTok famous, the majority of us understand what that means. In a world where building your own personal brand, securing your side hustle, making a name for yourself, that you're an influencer, I want to spend a little bit of time this morning re reclaiming this sacred language of calling. I want to spend some time answering this morning, what does it mean to be called by God? And this is honestly a common question that I get as a pastor. You know, when I meet other people that are around the same age as me, people ask me because, you know, being a young pastor is somewhat strange in the world that we live in. And people don't generally understand why you would do what you do. And they ask me this common question of like, so how did you know that you were supposed to be a pastor? They think that I had this like crazy moment that maybe the heavens parted, like maybe they heard happened in the Bible before. And I think that sometimes the world has had so much influence in our understanding of what we've been called to do that we can almost become confused. I think that that could have been the other title of my message today, which is, I'm confused. <laughs> because calling can be so confusing. However, the, the root Greek word of calling is, is, is probably, if you were to read theologians and, and go through a study of the New Testament, the, the, the root word of the word calling is probably one of the most significant uh, words in the New Testament in that it's used to define some of the most significant portions of scripture. Let me give you a, a little bit of a breakdown of this. That the, the root word of calling is this word kaleo, kaleo. And it's the root word of 16 other very important words. But the word kaleo at its very fundamental form simply means to call. So some of the other words and, and why it's so significant in the New Testament is some of the other words that we derive from the word kaleo is kalesis, which is talking about our calling, kletos, which is talking about those who are and have been called by God. The majority of you will have heard the word paraclete before, which is the word comforter, which is one of the attributes of the Holy Spirit. Parakletos is another uh, 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 definition of the Holy Spirit, that he is our advocate. He is our intercessor. We know that Jesus says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And even the word ecclesia, which we know as, uh, as the, the, the biblical word for the church or the assembly of believers... The word ecclesia simply just means the called out ones. That we aren't called to sit in the four walls of the church, but we are the ones who have been called to take what we have experienced here and we've been now called out of here. So you can understand very quickly why this word calling and understanding the, what the calling of God is is so fundamentally important to us as New Testament believers. Now, here's the thing. If you, if you think about this for even just a moment, that God has a calling on your life, and you can accept this, you can, you can believe this, that you were created for a purpose, immediately you begin to understand this is, and whatever I'm supposed to do, is a very, very big deal. Now, if you're anything like me, when I think about the bigness of God creating me for a purpose, immediately one of my very first thought is, what happens if I miss my calling? What happens if I choose the wrong major in school? What happens if I decide to go to a church and it's the wrong church? What happens if I choose a particular career and that career wasn't quite right? And now all of a sudden I'm going to miss the very thing that I was called by God to do. 
But what if I was supposed to marry that cute girl? And I hesitated, and then she got sick with COVID. And when she was in the hospital with COVID, she met this really cute doctor and married the doctor. And now I'm destined to marry someone that I find unattractive. It's going to be hard to live with them. And then we're going to have kids that we're not supposed to have, and they're going to struggle. I mean, going down this road. But what if I miss my calling? What if I miss the reason I was put on this earth? Right, if God is calling me, the creator of the universe has handcrafted a plan for me, what if I miss it? What if I do the wrong things? What if I don't do the right things? What if I miss an opportunity? What if I deliberately disobey something that I know God has asked me to do? What am I called to do? Now, actually, at the very beginning, how many of us would identify and say, I know that I've been called to do something? The majority of you responded with some sort of yes. I said, how many of you think that that thing is big? Again, the majority of you responded with a yes, that it's important, that it's significant, that it's unique. But here's what I've learned, is as we address the concept of calling, man, it can be very confusing. In fact, the majority of people that I have met with through the history of being a pastor generally at some point or another came to me with the question, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? What does it feel like? What does it seem like? What did it feel like for you to know that you were doing the right thing? And in my years, I've realized something, and we're going to talk about this in scripture, that calling is about who you are before it's about what you do. Let me say that again, because I feel like some of you didn't catch that. Calling is about who you are before it's about what you do. To shorten it, I can say it's this. It's the who before the do. And this is what it says, is, is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we... we, we we begin to dig in and see this understanding because this is one of the moments in the New Testament where it talks to us about our calling, okay? And this is what it says. For God saved us and called us to, and this is kind of like the cliffhanger. you like, he called us to what? What did God save me and call me to do? Now, I'll tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that God saved you and called you to be a missionary to Africa. It doesn't say that he called you and saved you so that you could be a second grade teacher or that you could even be a professional gamer, which still is a bizarre career profession that somebody has paid money to play video games. But nonetheless, he says this. He says, for God saved us and calls us to what? To live a holy life. Come on, this is one of the only times in Scripture that, that, that Scripture is telling us what we're called to do. And it's not a task. It's not a job. He says this, God has called us to live a holy life. He goes on to say this, he did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. You see, calling is as much who you are becoming as it is what you are doing. The writer of this scripture tells us, he says, we've been called to be holy. Now, even that word holy can sometimes be over-spiritualized 
and it could in itself become very confusing. But if you were to look at the definition of what this word holy actually means, it simply just means to be set apart. In a modern, in our modern language, we could interchange the word holy as the word different. That what the scripture is saying is that God has called us, he saved us and called us to be different from the world that's around us. He's saying that when you look at the world and you compare yourself to it, you should think differently. You should act differently. You should make decisions that have different outcomes. You, what you seek should be different than that which the world seeks. What you find value in and where you derive your value should be different than where the world finds its value. What motivates you, what drives you, where your passions come out of should be different than where the world finds value. In fact, if you're to study the scriptures, and I have, I've spent the last few years, especially heavily during COVID, studying the scriptures. And did you know that your, the Bible never talks to you about your calling for a career? Let this sink in for a second. Because, man, we know we're called. I know I'm called to do something big and good and amazing. And yet the Bible doesn't lay out any parameters, no encouragements, no directions, no set of rules or regulations. In fact, when we talk about calling, the only thing that the New Testament refers to in Finding your calling is that we're called to become more like Jesus. So when you see this, it begins to cause you to ask some different questions, doesn't it? That instead of asking, what am I called to do? I begin very quickly to ask the question, and I would argue a better question, who am I supposed to, or who am I called to become? Because I've learned something as I've walked through this life, is that the enemy very rarely attacks what you do. In fact, the truth is, it would seem as though he's rather indifferent, because whatever you choose to do, he generally will attack people the same. Like, the general struggle of life is fairly common to all of us in whatever profession or career choice that we choose. But I tell you what I do notice is that the enemy, while he doesn't attack what you do, he almost always attacks who you are. And I thought about this and I realized something. Why does the enemy do this? Because if you distort who I am, you'll destroy what I can do. Listen, if I don't know who I am, if I don't understand what I've been called to do, then no matter what I do, won't have the outcome it's supposed to have. And here's the truth. If calling is just about a do, that's when it becomes confusing. I think that's why so many people have so many questions because there's so many options out there about what we can do. Should I go into ministry? Should I go into business? Should I get married? Should I have kids? There's so many questions and when our calling is only about what we do, it inevitably becomes confusing. Because what works for me won't work for you. And what works for you won't work for me. And I can give you an amazing five-step process on how to find what you're called to do. And you do it. And nothing happens. 
Like I would ask people this, right? I will ask you now. And how many of you would say that it's probably a fairly good synopsis that I have been called to preach, right? I mean, I would say the majority would be like, yeah, I can understand that you were called to preach, you know, but, but, but here's the thing is that being called to preach is just something that I do, okay? And here's the problem is that while, yes, I am certainly called to preach, I'm also called to be a husband to my wife, Danielle. And how many of you know the skills that I use to preach are very different than the skills that I use to be a good husband and have some sort of peace in my house, right? Because could you imagine, like, if Danielle and I were arguing at home and we were disagreeing and all of a sudden, in the middle of the argument, I laid my hands on her head and, and I tell her, listen, honey, if you just raise your hands and repent of your sins, you need Jesus and you could, how many of you know? It works in one context. <laughs> you know, I'm called to be a pastor, but I'm also called to be a husband. And some of the perks that I have in being a husband and some of the roles that I have in being a husband would just be weird if I implemented them as a, you know, because one of the things is that as a husband, I do a lot of kissing. And how many of you know I'd be a weird pastor if I brought some of the things of being a husband into, right? And then all of my kissing in being a husband led me to pop out a kid. And how many of you know that now I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, but I'm also a father. And how many of you know that being a father is different than being a husband and it's different than being a pastor and man, it can become so confusing. But here's the thing is it's, when I understand it's who before do, it's easy to see that it's the same person it's just a different expression of who I am. What I do may change. When I walk out the doors and I go home, when I take my daughter swimming at my grandma's house, it's the same person, but it's a different expression. Can I tell you something? Who you are is way, way more important than what you do. Right, because is a part of my calling to preach? Yes, absolutely. But I'm called to more than just preaching. Scripture says I'm called to live a holy life. I'm called so that every area and aspect of my life looks and feels different. That way, regardless of the setting that you see me, whether I'm on stage or in a swimming pool, you look at me and say, that guy is different. And I'm interested to understand why are you so different? Being a pastor is what I do. Living faithfully and Devoted to Jesus is who I am. Right? Because all too often, don't we see things like, you know, we, we see people standing up on stage and they're a great pastor or they're a great worship leader. And then you hear somehow, you know, that they absolutely neglect their families. That their church is so big because their marriage is in shambles and he just never goes home. Or that they're verbally abusive to their children. That they're really good in what they do in one area. You know, you could be a charismatic leader. People could be drawn to you only to realize that you are a person of integrity. You just never keep your word. You see, this is what happens when the do becomes more significant to us than the who. You see, calling isn't about something significant that we do in the future. It's about our continued determination and faithfulness towards Jesus today. 
It's not about the amazing things, our name and lights, that we've somehow achieved the pinnacle of everything the world tells us this is what success looks like. I'm okay. I sweat and it's fine. Because you see, if success is some future projected version of who we are, then our life is driven by doing everything that we can do to attain this thing. Instead, calling is about what can I do to be faithful to Jesus today? This is what we see in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. It says this. He says, and, come on, sometimes you read scripture and you're like, why do you got to make it so hard? He says this, and whatever you do, whatever you do, if it's easy, if it's hard, if it's seen or it's unseen, if it's significant or insignificant, if it's purposeful, if I understand it or I don't understand the scripture says, in whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says, listen, it's really easy to rejoice when you're in the middle of doing something that's so spectacularly amazing. It's really easy to rejoice and, and, and give thanks when our life is moving in the direction that we want it to move. In fact, we can see, and I'm going to close with this, we, we see an example in, in Mark chapter 10. We see a beautiful illustration of this in Scripture. And it's in Mark chapter 10, and a lot is happening in this scripture, which we're not going to get into, but to bring us into what I want to talk about, we're introduced in a particular passage of scripture to two brothers, and their names are James and John, okay? James and John, two of the followers of Jesus. And in this passage of scripture, they ask Jesus a favor, okay? They come to him, and they're talking to him, and, and they say, Jesus, listen, when you're on your throne, okay, because at this point, they didn't understand the way, the route that Jesus was going to take in order to become the king and ruler. So they're thinking he's, at this point, he's going to overthrow the Roman Empire, and he's going to be a king sitting on a throne. And they say, Jesus, listen, when you're on your throne, and you're sitting in all of your glory, let us sit next to you right? One of us is going to sit on your right, and one of us is going to sit on your... Otherwise, what, what, what they're asking Jesus is like, listen, Jesus, we get that you're super important. So when you're super important, put us in these positions so that when people see your importance, they assume that we're important because you've chosen us to sit beside you. And Jesus' response is so amazing. Like Jesus could have dissed them. He could have done all the things he could have done. Instead, Jesus teaches us a lesson. He says this in his response. He says, listen, guys, if you want to be a leader, be a servant. He says to them, if you want to be first, then you need to choose to be last. Why? Because it's who before do. And this can sometimes be confusing because we know that Scripture tells us that we're called to be kings and priests and we're called to rule and take dominion. But what Jesus is addressing in this moment is, what is your motivation are you trying to find significance in, in who you are because of what you do? Or is what you do significant because of who you are? Scripture goes on in the next chapter, in Mark chapter 11, 
We see that Jesus is, you know, getting ready to come into Jerusalem. Uh, and Jesus and his disciples, they're kind of on their way and they're approaching. And this is going to become this famous moment in scripture where Jesus has his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right? You remember this? This is when they lay down the palm branches and he rises in. And there's this big moment where they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, you know, the disciples, I'm sure, are just like beside themselves, right? Like, you know how when you walk into some, somewhere and you don't necessarily feel like you belong there, but you're walking in with someone who you know belongs there, and even though you feel like you don't belong, you know that they belong, so you kind of walk in, like, feeling good, because, like, even though I don't belong, I'm with someone who belongs, and I can only imagine how the disciples would have been feeling. Like, this is finally our big moment when everybody is going to see how important he is. Therefore, they're going to think this is how important that we are. And I love what Jesus does, and I think it's so funny. It says this in Mark chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the two towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And it goes on to say, Jesus sent two of them, to go on ahead. Now, here's the thing. He sends you ahead. Scripture doesn't tell us who the two were, but if I were Jesus, I'd be like, hey, James and John, I got something that I need you to do. And I'm sure in this moment, like, they're like, we're finally going to Jerusalem, and this is gonna happen, and Jesus is sending us ahead. Like, imagine, oh, I can't wait to hear what he's going to ask us to do. It's going to be so important. Like, I'm sure he's going to ask us to cast out the demons. I'm sure he's going to have us call down heavenly fire on the Romans. And we're finally going to have this moment. Whatever it is, we know he's going to ask us to do something so important. Finally, our skills are going to be on display. Finally, Jesus has noticed the leadership Mark chapter 11, verse 2 says this. He tells them, he sends them ahead, and he says, go into that village over there, he told them. And as soon as you enter, <laughs> you'll see a donkey tied there that no one has ever written. Untie it. Here's your mission. <laughs> Untie the donkey and bring it here. And if anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it. Listen, even their response isn't something cool. Like the king of glory is entering and he sent us to, uh, no. He says, if they ask you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it and he'll return it soon. I can only imagine how the disciples feel. They're like, they're like wait a minute. Like Jesus, we left everything. Like everything that we were and could have been and, and our calling and all the things we were doing were good up until we met you. Like I thought you were gonna send us on some important you know, mission that we had this important assignment that you were sending us to do something big and instead you put us on donkey duty. And we see the scripture come into play. Whether it's glory or fame, recognition or clout. But sometimes Jesus is going to ask you and call you to do donkey duty. And this is when the scripture reverberates in our mind that says, whatever you do. Why? Because it's who before do. I've learned it's so hard to obey God when the only thing that I can obey are things that make me feel the way I want to feel. It's easy to obey when God asks me to stand up and preach a message because I seem important, significant. But scripture says, listen, this is what you're called to do. Be different. 
that whatever I ask you to do, don't assign your value based off of what you do. Assign it because of who I am. And this is the disciples. The disciples are about to learn a very, very significant lesson. I would argue probably one of the most significant lessons that they learn in all of Scripture. And that is that the size of your assignment never determines the significance of your impact. I mean, don't we see that in Scripture with the little shepherd boy named David as he picks up five smooth stones and somehow God uses the very little, the very insignificant to do something Amazing, what about the boy who brings, you know, his lunchable to Jesus and Jesus turns this very small, seemingly insignificant event into one of the greatest miracles in scripture as he multiplies one boy's lunch to feed the 5,000. And just like these, we have been set apart. We have been called. We've been chosen by God And here's the deal, whatever you do, because sometimes obedience feels like donkey duty. But Paul tells us, listen, do it with all the faithfulness you can, all the passion, all the integrity. Why? Because life and calling is more about who than it is about the do. And this is what the disciples are about to learn as they bring this donkey back to Jesus and as they realize that their obedience to do donkey duty, that this donkey is going to usher Jesus and carry Jesus into his ultimate calling. So what do we recognize in this? We want to find our calling? Feel confused about what God is asking us to do? We need to start with who. Who have you called me to be? And out of that, just be faithful to Jesus right now. Then here's the thing. Then when you're faithful, then when everybody around you is saying donkey duty And you're passionate about the donkey duty. Ain't nobody going to do donkey duty like you're about to do donkey duty. Then when you serve with integrity. Then when you love the unlovable. Then when you choose to die to yourself. And choose selflessness rather than self-promotion. Then when it's less of you and actually more of him. When it's more about his name than it's about your name. When it's not about your status or your significance or your importance. We reach a moment where honestly, it's all about Jesus. Then I've learned something. Can I tell you, church? Then you don't have to find your calling. When everything is now about Jesus, your calling is going to find you. All of a sudden, it's not going to, I'm not motivated and driven, and I can only do the things that feel significant to me. Now, whether Jesus asks me to go and preach to the masses or he calls me to go grab a donkey, it doesn't matter because my significance, my calling isn't about the do. No, it's about who I am and that I'm going to use all my passion, all my energy, all my integrity, all my faithfulness to give back to him that which he's giving to me. So what are we called to do? We're called to put the who before the do. We're called to be set apart. We're called to live a holy life. We're called to look different and act different and sound different and believe different. That whatever it is, whatever the assignment God has called us to do, do it for the glory of God. Listen, it's about being a good friend to someone who's hurting. It's about loving your spouse even when they're difficult to love. 
It's about doing something without needing to get the credit for what you did. It's about giving thanks for what you have, even though you're in the middle of a trial. It's about the fact that, you know, you've got a lot of education, and you could do a lot of different things, but God has called you to raise those kids, and you're going to raise them with all the passion and all the integrity and all the goodness. Because, listen, it's not about what you do. Maybe God has called you to build a business. And here's the truth is that building a business is not some second-rate identity. Scripture tells us that Jesus is passionate about people building things, right? He blesses the person who has five talents and builds them into the ten. But you're going to build that business with integrity and passion and faithfulness. And whatever you do, wherever you find yourself, you're going to do it to the glory of God. Here's the truth. We all want to be important. If we could be real for a moment. (laughs) But I think it's time that we want to be faithful more than we want to be important. Because here's the thing. When we get to heaven... God's not going to look at all the things that we did and say, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. Look at everything you did. (laughs) I think that's what separates us. That's what makes us different. Is I'm living for something that's beyond And this is what communion is all about. This is as we look at this and we honestly remember. Like, we didn't deserve anything. We don't deserve a good calling. I mean, like, donkey duty would be in what we deserve. Like, that would be a great. But we celebrate communion. We celebrate what Jesus did because this is what makes me significant. That the creator of the universe would send his only son. Not because of what I did. Because how many of you know Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago before I did anything? How many of you know Scripture says that, 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 that when Jesus looked, knowing all of my sin, he says, while we were sinners, doing nothing for him, it says he loved me so much that he died for me. Come on, I think if we spent a fraction of as much time in our life thinking about that compared to trying to find a way to do something significant, how much in our life would change? When I realize it's not about what I do. It's who this says I am. Because, I mean, come on, this is more significant than any job. This is more significant than any career. It's more significant than any opportunity. It's more significant than any good deed. And when I live out of this place, that the King of Heaven, the King of Glory, would strip off all of his Godship, And everything good about him and come down and live this meager existence and die for me. That changes how I see myself. It makes me realize that my calling is bigger. It's bigger than something I do. No, I'm called to use my life to bring worship and glory back to the one 
who gave it all for me. So I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna invite us to just have a moment while this music is playing that, like I said, here's the truth. We all wanna be significant. We all, listen, we all want the big houses, the fast cars. We all would love to see our name in lights. We all want those things. So this isn't a moment of shame that we wanna feel as though you know, we're these rotten, awful people. No, it's a moment to redirect our priorities. Father, we come to you as we hold this cup and this wafer in our hand. Can you bump the music just a touch? Let's just take a moment. Thank you. Come on, because it's the who before the do. That as I bite this wafer, it's, a re it's remembering that Jesus saw me and thought so highly of me that he would take the punishment, the whippings, the cross. It's as I sip this cup, it's, it's, it's this reality that he was literally willing to give everything for me. Man, who I am, I couldn't do enough to make me feel more significant than this moment makes me feel. So Father, as we hold this cup and this wafer, it's a reminder. You said, do this in remembrance of me. It's a reminder to us of who you have called us be. Someone's going to invite you. I'm going to step down from here. I'm going to invite you to take two minutes and just let this reality, let it just wash away. Maybe you got a lot of shame of stuff you did in your past. Maybe you got to a certain age and you feel like, I should have done so much more. Maybe you feel like, I got saved so late in life. How could I ever do anything great for God? Just let this reality wash those lies away. good in us is because of you and we choose today to simply give that back we give you the best we give you our all we give you our faithfulness we give you our integrity and we thank you for that in jesus mighty name amen